Hi friends, this is Connie Alpers and I want to welcome you back to Equipped to Be, where I get to help you embrace and navigate the seasons of life so you can reach your personal family and parenting goals. We at Equipped to Be want you to understand how God has given you unique gifts, strengths, and talents so that you can live in all seasons with confidence and joy. Whether you're cooking dinner, holding laundry, or maybe just enjoying some time alone. I hope you enjoy this episode of Equipped to Be. Welcome to this edition of Equipped to Be. I'm your host, Connie Albers. Today in the studio, I have a special guest, Stephanie Ruzel. She is from the Gospel Spice Ministries. I met her a couple of years ago at a podcasting conference right at the beginning of Equipped to Be. Her podcast was also just beginning. And so we had lots of conversations about what we saw happening, uh, what our podcasts were going to be. She had me on her episode. I believe it was episode 67. Uh, she had me on as a guest. I love the work that she's doing. I love her heart for the Lord. Now, Stephanie has a motto that just resonates with me, and I bet it will resonate with you too. God's glory, our delight. It's so simple. Stephanie was born in France, and she has lived in three continents, four countries, five cities, through six professional roles. She's a wife, a mom of two now adult children, a podcaster, a public speaker, a serious Bible teacher, a former woman's ministry director, and a strategic consultant. She has got a heart of gold, a heart for Christ, and for others to know truly who the Lord is. She is 100% French, and she thrives, absolutely thrives on Bible-centered, inspirational writing, speaking, and you will see that in our podcast today as we talk about what God has and what He has for you and how we need to taste and see what the Lord is doing. So grab your pen and paper, your phone. You want to take notes. I am absolutely confident that you'll be equipped and aspired to pursue the Lord because He has designed and created you for purpose, with a purpose, and He is working it out in your life through the calling that He has. So please join me as I welcome Stephanie to the program. Stephanie, thank you for coming on the Equip to Be program. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> well, friends, I do have to tell you, like everything you do, there's always glitches and, and such and we had a little one as we were getting ready to record this episode of Equipped to Be. So, um, Stephanie, I want to pray over our time together before we really dive in. Are you okay with that? Yes, please. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for our podcast, for the ministry that you have placed on our heart, for the people that are listening to the show around the world, for the words that Stephanie will share that will be not just encouraging, but moving us to draw nearer to you, to delight in you. Father, I ask that our words would be from you, that they would be good for others to hear, and that lives would be changed. And we just pray for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. So Stephanie, you know, I read your bio earlier, and so my guests really know a little bit about you. I was thinking, as we have become friends over a bit of time, our friendship began at a conference a couple of years ago. Do you remember that? 
I do very fondly. I very much remember meeting you. It, I think it was February of 2020, right before the world changed and COVID just uh, made us aware of all sorts of things we did not even know in terms of our need for community and for fellowship and for the Lord at either depth ever deeper levels. So I do remember meeting you. It was a lovely conference. Can you yeah. can you imagine how? Just two in two years, how divided and divisive, and uh, how we have to be so careful with every single word that we say. To me, it's just mind-boggling how fast things have changed, not just in America, but you know, you were born and raised in France, and so I was looking at your bio and I thought, wow, in ten years, you have lived in four countries, three continents, five cities, had six different professional roles all in the span of time. So you know culture, you know the European culture. I mean, you have so much diversity in your background. Tell me what it's like for you as you've watched everything play out in America, because you are you live in America, but you've got relationships that span around the world. How has that impacted you and maybe how has it grieved your heart? Yeah. Oh my, Connie, I think all of us in the body of Christ can relate to having brothers and sisters all over the world, right? Even if they're not family, flesh and blood, they're family in Christ. And so I know so many of us have been grieving over what's been happening in in the Ukraine to our Christian brothers and sisters and to the whole country in general. And, and to see how the Lord is, um, is, is just moving through all of that with people coming to Him. So I, I really... Uh, being European, you know, having lived in France my entire childhood. And then uh, one of my distant relatives uh, is actually from Ukraine. So kind of mm. following all of that very indirectly through her. And then um, having lived in Africa and having coming from atheism and my husband coming from Islam and then uh, raising our children, trying to figure out what it's like to raise children who will want to follow the Lord once they're all grown up. Now they both are and they're young adults. We are literally just uh, celebrated their 20th and 18th birthdays. Wow. So we have adult children, which I don't know how that's even possible. So <laughs> all of those, you know, and raising them uh, here in the States, mostly we've been in the U.S. about seven years now, but they've lived in all of those places as we have. And so the, the diversity, I think that it has taught me is truly, I would say, I think if I summed it up, I think it's the word humility that would come to mind in the sense that I have learned to decipher culture, different cultures, different languages, different customs, whether they be clothing customs or food. When we lived in Africa, it was very different from when we lived in the UK or in the mm. US, in the South or in the North of the US. It's, it's very different too. And so learning to approach people by trying to decipher their culture and to learn from them. I think there's so much to be learned from one another. And I can't wait, you know, when, when the Bible teaches that every tongue and tribe and nation will be at the feet of the throne room, worshiping the Lord. And it's going to take place in so many different languages. And we're all going to look different with our customs and our clothing. And it's going to be just so beautiful. And to learn from one another for all of eternity will be one of the delights of heaven. And I've gotten a taste of it here on earth. And I think my experience of the Lord has been so much richer, so much more profound as a result of encountering him through the eyes of other believers throughout the world. And I think 
this approach has influenced how I experience even scripture. And so I like to say that I like to live at the intersection of culture and scripture because all of us, whether we realize it or not, we bring our own culture into our interpretation of scripture. None of us is actually truly able to read scripture outside of our own culture. And so to be the, the next best thing we can do is to experience scripture through someone else's eyes, which is why we need a fellowship of the community of believers at church and why we need Bible studies and why we need Bible teachers and why we need to be surrounded with other believers. Because every time we approach scripture, we approach it through their lens, which is slightly different from ours and therefore enriching. And when you do that with other languages and other cultures through time and space, it really just brings such a level of depth uh, to scripture that we wouldn't have on our own in isolation. And again, I think COVID has taught us that isolation is not good for the human heart. And I don't think it's good for the spiritual heart either. And um, so approaching scripture through the lens of culture, that's not to say that we interpret scripture any way we want. It's the realization of the limits of our own cultures to approach scripture. We all think we approach scripture objectively, maybe, but I don't think we actually can. Because I remember moving overseas for the first time and moving to Africa from France. Um, And actually, before that, to be quite honest with you, my first international experience living overseas was coming to the U.S. when I was 17. I came as a foreign exchange student from France, did my senior year of high school uh, in the United States in order to learn English. I was an atheist at the time. And uh, this is where I met the Lord. And that can be a story for later or for another day. But I remember experiencing the American culture, which on surface might not be quite so different from the, the French culture. We're both Western cultures. And yet there were so many differences. And um, it taught me the humility to realize that my own culture is only one of many. And therefore, the way I approach people will be shaped by my culture. And the way we approach scripture is the same way. And so to be able to take some distance from your own culture to experience scripture in a maybe slightly more faithful to the original, I think that that became my passion once I came to Christ was to experience scripture in a way that would usher in the greatest possible delight in the Lord. Uh, Being French, that word delight really is important to me because it's a feast for the senses, the concept of delighting in something. Actually, in French, um, you know how languages have different nuances of meaning and different words and how we don't always translate all of the words one for one. So sometimes there's two words in English that would both be translated the same word in French, or sometimes it's the other way around. We might have two French words that would both be translated the same in English. So you might lose a little bit of nuance in the English or sometimes the opposite. And so actually that word uh, delight in French uh, is different from the English because we have two words um, that would both convey the notion of delight. And one of them is delight, uh, but the other is is delicious. So in French, the concept of delight and deliciousness are actually one and the same. It's translated delice in French. And so that means that in French, when you approach scripture, you will find that God is both delightful and delicious. And so we link in the French brain, the way our French brains are wired and grow from birth through language is that we link the concepts of something delightful and something delicious, which is why I'm saying that delight 
has something very hedonistic, very Epicurean about it because it's a feast for the five senses. And in that mm. sense, delighting in God is something that we do when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, body, strength, and spirit. That's this idea of the five senses. And then love your neighbor as yourself is something you do in the same way through the, the concept of delight. So all this to say, when you approach scripture through the lens of a particular culture, in my case, French, in your case, English, we bring our own perspective to it. And so for me, it was a quest to approach scripture in a way that was as faithful as possible to the original meaning. And therefore, it meant immersing ourselves in the Jewish culture for the New Testament, the first century Jewish culture. And so actually, that's how I started Gospel Spice, the podcast that you are referring to. Uh, we're about the same age as far as the podcast goes, you and I, I think. And Gospel Spice is an invitation to our audience to experience Scripture through the eyes of culture. And we do this through, for example, our first season was an experience of the Gospel of Matthew, who is the most Jewish of the four Gospel writers. And we were experiencing the Gospel of Matthew through the Jewish first century perspective. And so bringing in a lot of Jewish flavors and understanding the concepts that are sometimes that we take for granted in our Western culture, but that if we scratch the surface a little bit. There is such depth that we can't access unless we understand and immerse ourselves in the Jewish culture. And then as time moved on, we've moved on to different things and we bring in guests. So we alternate in-depth Bible teachings with guests and our guests bring their own flavors. For example, we just finished our Easter season of 2022 and we had um, my dear friend, Os Guinness came back. I rarely have the same person come back twice on the show, but Os Guinness and I are just absolutely love him. And so he was explaining his perspective as a British man and his perspective to scripture. And that was our Easter episode a couple of weeks ago. And then um, actually just the same thing a couple of weeks ago, as we were launching the series we're currently on, which is titled, by the way, Connie, God's Glory our delight. And mm. so it actually is that word delight is so in the forefront of my mind because that's the series we're currently on, on Gospel Spice. And um, there's a man called David Boussard. He's American, but he has a ministry for France and his passion is to connect French and American Christians. And so I obviously have a soft spot for what he does. And so he brings in the French culture and his perspective on how to delight in the glory of God through serving others in the name of Christ in the French ministries that he represents. So things like that and delighting in the glory of God is honestly, Connie, I think you and I would both very heartily agree. It's what God created us for. He created us to delight in him, to grow in our experience of finding him both delightful and delicious. And that happens through all of that we are, all of it. There was something you said earlier, and we were talking about relationships. And I always say we are designed for and defined by our relationships, first with the Lord and then with others. Now, I want to take you to a place. We had talked about this before. You are so passionate about scripture, about teaching biblical truth, about, I would say, more than just teaching Bible stories. You you go deeper. You want to get to the heart. I mean, that's the core of, of everything as a Bible teacher. But you weren't raised in a Christian family. You were actually an atheist. And as much as you feel comfortable, share a little bit about how, as you have traveled the world, lived in various places, and you've got an amazing life story, how did God draw you to himself? What was that faith journey like from leaving 
from having from practicing atheism, so to speak, to actually being as passionate about delighting in God as you are. Yeah, yeah. I think you you just kind of nailed it. It's a process of of him revealing himself to us. In my case, I was very content in my atheism. It was not just something I had inherited from my parents, though it was, but it was something I had truly researched and adopted for myself. So I can't blame anyone (laughs) for my choice. It was me. It was truly my choice. And I was actually quite content in it. My favorite French countryman is Blaise Pascal, and he's famous for talking about we all have this God-shaped hole in our heart, right? Well, I didn't feel that hole at all. Or if I felt it, I was very content to fill it with atheism. And so I had no deep longing. I had no really unanswered questions. I was just happy, content in my atheism, which, again, is not the case for most people. I think most people, God will stir a holy longing for him in their hearts before they find him. It was not my case. I was, I think, probably just even so blind that I couldn't even see my need for him. This very humble admission to say I, I didn't even know enough to, to look for him. But then coming to the U.S. as a foreign exchange student for my senior year of high school, it just so happened that I ended up living with a host family who were very strong followers of Jesus. And so through many conversations with them, the Lord was able to draw me to questions that I didn't even know to ask. And quite quickly in the process, right around this time of year, right around Easter time, I became aware of something that is utterly disturbing for an atheist, which is the historical truth of the resurrection. So through research, because I have an intellectual mind, mm-hmm. and so it was really a lot of head research initially, which which is fine, and intellectual research convinced me that historically speaking, the resurrection had taken place. Jesus was a human being who had lived and who had died and who had resurrected and his claims to be God, therefore deserved a few minutes of my time because it doesn't just happen. People don't rise from the dead as far as I know. And so it's a very uncomfortable place for an atheist to be, to believe in the resurrection. It's like sleeping on a bed of nails so to speak, because, and and metaphorically speaking in some ways, because you don't want as an atheist to be challenged with the resurrection. Because again, once you're faced with it, you can choose to ignore it. And a lot of people in our post-truth, post-modern world can easily ignore objective truth and, and rely on relative truth. But if you're intellectually a little sincere, you very quickly realize that relative truth holds no water because by definition, everything is relative except the statement that truth is relative, which doesn't hold water for a second. So <laughs> exactly. uh, the moment you put, say that everything is relative except that statement, then by definition, you're making an exception. So, I mean, relative is, truth in relativism, you really don't. They're all in water. They're not meant to cohabit very well. But so aware of that, I wasn't able to just shove away the truth of the resurrection. And so that really put me into a cocoon of a quandary, of a quest, of a deeply uncomfortable season of having to decide what was I going to do with this newfound truth that I could not escape, which was that there was this human being named Jesus Christ who claimed to be God and whose resurrection kind of backed up that claim. For someone who doesn't believe in God, let alone the miracles, that's uncomfortable. And so 
it led me to embracing the Lord. And one of my favorite heroes of the faith is C.S. Lewis. And he explains in his book, Surprised by Joy, that when he came to faith from agnosticism, and then before that from atheism, that he was, I quote, the most reluctant convert in all of England. And I cannot take that statement for me. I think in many ways, I was the most reluctant convert in all of France. I did not come to the Lord for what he could give me which is, I think, how many Christians maybe come to him initially, but then have to discover deeper layers of it because no one should come to the Lord for what he can give us or stay there. You know, mm-hmm. we want to go deeper. But for me, it was um, unavoidable. It's not something I necessarily desired, but it was something that I could not escape. And so I remember telling the Lord, okay, I mean, obviously you exist. Obviously, if you exist and if you are everything that you claim to be, everything that is beautiful and perfect and trustworthy and powerful, then you own me. And mm-hmm. I I do not want to live my life under my own control anymore because obviously I'm not wise enough to even seek you. Mm. But that means I'm terrified of what you're going to do with me. But I choose to trust you. And um, Connie, the moment I gave the Lord permission uh, the moment I surrendered, I think God, I like to say that God is a gentleman and he's a bit on the shy side sometimes. I mean, yes, he reveals himself in the burning bush and in the glory of the tabernacle. But at the end of the day, God will not force himself on any of us. And He, if he reveals any more of his glory than what we can actually see right now in our world, if he reveals any more of it, freedom of choice will be removed from us because his glory will be so manifest. We will bow down and worship, which is mm-hmm. what the future holds. But for now... He has veiled his his glory, except when he reveals it in the face of Christ Jesus for a season. But his glory is veiled enough that he's shy enough right now that he's asking us for a step of faith towards him. And that step of faith I took very reluctantly, but I took knowing that full surrender was the only option. And so this was almost 30 years ago, and he has taught me so much about the delights, oh, Connie, the sheer delight that we take when our hearts are set free to worship him as he really is, and as you well know. You know, I think this is really important for listeners to hear because, as you have said, oftentimes it's there's an emotional that we're in misery, we're down on our luck, we're, we've tried everything on our own and it's not working, so now, you know, we're just, we're going to give our life to the Lord. There's that emotionalism the feelings. But what you're saying, I think that's a very big part of our population or the academic, the thinkers, not the feelers, not that you don't have feelings, but I think you know what I'm inferring, that God moves in the hearts of people, whether you're down on your luck, you're miserable, you've you've tried everything, or you're just longing and searching, or if you are living a life that you have chosen and you're content in it, but yet God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And that is not for you to continue in the way that you're walking, but that you would be drawn to him. And that's what appeals to me about your whole ministry, uh, because, you, you know, it's like, come and taste the spice of the gospel. Come and taste it. I mean, you and I were talking uh, when we were preparing for our show together uh, about delighting in the Lord when we think about the fact that it is God that draws us, we don't even know what questions to ask. We don't even know how to have faith. If we had the ability to have faith, then it would be us having faith. But it's God 
who is at work in us that causes us and drives us to the faith that we have that we place in the Lord, period. And so I love your story, and it's uh, the testimony of you were looking at logic and reasoning, and now that I had this information, what was I going to do? That was the struggle. Now I know. I didn't know before. I wasn't searching, but it has to be settled. And you were talking about uh, the Lord being kind of shy. I mean, it that's that part of free will that, you know, it's very difficult to try to explain because did God know? Did he not know? I those that's some of those questions we won't get answered on this side of heaven. But the fact that it's the story God used in your life of I'm going to draw you by placing you in this home by asking questions. And as you think, as you process, as you contemplate, he's slowly working in your heart, in the secret place where, where only you and the Lord are having those conversations. That's, that's just, um, I want all of you that are listening to, to pay attention to that. Uh, it's not emotionalism. It, it is for some, but not always. And your, your experience with trusting and putting your trust in the Lord is going to be very different from, from someone else's. And there isn't a one way except for the fact that you do place your your faith. You put your you surrender as as you said, Stephanie, you surrender to, you turn your life over. It's not really your life anyway. You think it is, but God has a plan and a purpose. And so as we I kept pivot here on the show, as you're a Bible teacher, and I love something you had shared with me before, I believe you called it the axum, uh the process of the four stage of steps. I can't remember exactly what it was. You'll do a better job of explaining it. Uh, explain that to what you've kind of learned as over these 30 years of walking with the Lord, delighting in Him. I know one of your passion verses is Philippians 3.10. So if you will share that verse and then what you have learned in this four steps and how we get it mixed up. Yeah. Oh, Philippians 3.10 speaks volumes to me. It's uh, It makes my heart sing and my spirit rejoice. Uh, Philippians 3.10 says it's Paul talking. And after, you know, um, just earlier in the chapter of Philippians 3, well, in Philippians 2, he talks about Jesus. It's that early hymn where he says, uh, do everything like Christ Jesus, you know, who was in the form of God, but did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. But he humbled himself even to death and death on a cross. And therefore, he's going to be exalted and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. And that's my loose paraphrase of Philippians 2. But then in Philippians 3, he goes on to say, and look at me, I had a perfect pedigree. I was a perfect legalist. I had everything going for me. And he explains how it all became like trash to him compared to the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. That's Philippians 3.8. And then in 3.10, he goes on to say my the verse that just I love more than anything, which is, uh, I want to know Christ. And in the Amplified, it says, the Amplified version, it's, um, for my determined purpose is that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship in his sufferings. That's Philippians 3.10. And that's my determined purpose. And I think it's yours too, Connie. And it's Mm -hmm. that of our audience because our purpose comes from the Lord. And my determined purpose 
is that I may know Christ. And to know him, actually, interestingly, in French, I think I was sharing earlier how French and English sometimes have nuances of meaning. That word to know in English, we actually have two words in French that you would both translate to know. One is actually head knowledge. And the other is heart knowledge and heart as in experiential knowledge that encompasses head knowledge, but is much more than just head knowledge. And that's the word that Paul uses in the French and actually in the Greek, in the original Greek, to say, I want to know Christ. He's saying, I want to have a comprehensive, holistic, global, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that comes only through, he says, the power of his resurrection, which we're all in favor. All of us are in favor of the power of resurrection, but also he says the fellowship in his sufferings. And that's part of experience. And with everything that we go through in life, when we experience suffering, we can see it as a way to get to know Christ more. And I think there's a very redeeming worth to that. And so all of this, all of those things, I think, um, are summed up with the verse that God challenged me to way back when my story began with him. Um, mm-hmm. There's verse uh, 34a, taste and see that the Lord is good. And again, back to delight, right? Being both delightful and delicious, um, tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. It's a complete, global, holistic, experiential knowledge of God by tasting and by seeing. And God invited me to taste and see that he was good. It wasn't in so many words, but it was, hey, you know, come and check out who I am. Come and see if you like it. If you don't, that's fine. You can move away. You can go away. I won't force you to stay. But you can't spit me out of your mouth until you've actually tasted me. And the way I like to say it is um, I love really dark chocolate, Mm -hmm. like 85%, (laughs) 90% is probably my favorite. But the thing is, First, it's an acquired taste, like coffee. You and I were talking about our coffee conception before we started recording the show today. And I was saying, you know, it's an acquired taste and I love it. And I'm French, so I also enjoy a good glass of red wine. I grew up in the Bordeaux wine country. So I like that as an experience, as something that is exceptional and something to be enjoyed in very small quantities. But tasting and seeing that the Lord is good is like tasting really good chocolate. If you've never had very high-end French chocolate, maybe you've never tasted the best chocolates in the world. And that's obviously me speaking in my biased culture, but hey, you know. (laughs) So what if you tried? And if you don't like it, that's fine. But I cannot describe to you the experience of really good chocolate if you've never had it. Mm -hmm. I can tell you a lot about the head knowledge of it. I can talk to you about flavors and textures, but there's going to be a point where you need to take a bite for yourself. Only then will you have both the head, but also the experiential knowledge to taste and see. For your determined purpose is to know, is to know Christ. And you need to experience him in order to decide whether he is worth surrendering everything to. And to this day, 30 years in, I have yet to meet someone who has tasted and seen the Lord and has not seen that he is good because he is just like good chocolate. So many make a decision or a determination before they actually either have head knowledge or heart knowledge. They have an opinion or an assumption based on an experience that someone else had, or maybe an experience that they encountered, but it wasn't with the Lord. It was with someone else who represented. I think what you said is very important. You can't spit something out if you haven't even tasted it, if you don't truly know. And I think that is such a 
a profound statement, actually. So please continue on. Yes, this is exactly what you're saying. And I think I know you're asking me for the four grids and I'm going to get to it. But okay. um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I, what you just said grieves me like I'm almost choking up and tearing up right now because I how can I say this? I moved to the States about seven years ago outside of the year I spent as a foreign exchange student when I was 17, almost 30 years ago. So when I came to the U.S. seven years ago, having lived overseas and entirely in places where Christianity is not appreciated, and it's less and less appreciated in the States, by the way, as, as we know, and as the last few years have proven, but still, there's no severe persecution against Christians, or yes, they're being despised and seen as silly and foolish and stupid, and I I mean, I grew up in that culture, so I, I mean, you know, welcome to Europe, Americans. <laughs> it's not a pretty place to be, trust me, as far as theology goes and stuff. But anyway, that's a different conversation. It grieves my heart that Americans are moving away from a more deeply rooted Judeo-Christian system to a much more secular, postmodern, post-truth European system that is inherited mm-hmm. from the French Revolution by and large. And that the Lord, in his kindness, moved me away from, but most of my European countrymen are still very much enslaved to. And America seems to want that. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's very sad. But that's a different conversation. But all this to say, it has grieved my heart to see how many American Christians are what you're describing, namely, are content with a very lukewarm faith because maybe they grew up in the church or maybe they've read the Sermon on the Mount or they've read any of the key passages of Scripture so many times that it has become stale in their mouth and it lacks the fresh spice, the fresh herbs that Jesus intended for them to have. And so at Gospel Spice, what we do is that we take those very common passages of scripture. And if you are very familiar with the Bible, they may have become stale to you. It's kind of like reheating your leftover meal that you had last night in a fancy restaurant. But because it was an American portion, there was more than you could eat. So you brought half of it (laughs) home in a doggy bag. And now it's lunch the next day and you're reheating this gorgeous meal you had last night. But if you're putting it in the microwave for 30 seconds, it's going to reheat it, all right, but it's going to change the textures. It's going to be stale Something and will be lost. Chewy. You're going to lose so much. It's not mm-hmm. going to be the same experience you had last night. But if instead of putting it in the microwave, which is how many of us approach our Christian faith, we go to church on Sunday for an hour and that's it. We just microwave our faith and we think that's it. Or we just, you know, read the Bible for a minute every day, or we listen to 30 seconds every day on an audio and we think that's it. That's the fullness of the Christian life. And then we wonder why it's lukewarm and stale and why we want to spit it out of our mouth and it doesn't feed us. But if instead we put some fresh spice on it, Maybe sprinkle some fresh herbs and put it in the oven. Yes, it's going to take 20 minutes instead of 30 seconds to reheat it. But your house and your kitchen are going to smell amazing. And you know what? It might even taste better than it did last night because you took the time. And so it is with our experience of the Christian life and our experience of scripture. And so when we take the time to experience scripture with fresh spices, with a slightly different take, it might even be better than it was the first time. And that's exactly what we do at Gospel Spice. And so we bring that fresh spice back largely for an American Christian audience that has experienced a measure of staleness in their relationship with God. And we do this hopefully through the eyes of culture and how those cultures just bring different uh, spices to the mix that are biblical and beautiful. 
I'm very strict on like Christian orthodoxy. So my theology mm -hmm. is very important to me. And so um, we don't veer from the word of God. We uh, It's very, very important that we stay deeply grounded in his word, but that we experience the fullness of it. Well, that's where the power is. That's why so many struggle is they're implementing their version, their interpretation, and or they pick something, a narrative to fit a situation, which may be completely out of context. And then they wonder why they're not experiencing the fullness, the richness. They wonder why they aren't delighting in God. It's what has happened, especially in the American culture. And, and like you said, you've already seen it over in the European countries, but it is vital. Yeah. And it makes me so sad that to see this in the American church, because again, you know, 30 years ago, uh, I was in this Christian bubble for a year and I had such a deep experience of the American church and the Lord could have used anyone to bring me to himself, but in his sovereignty, he used American Christians. And so I feel mm -hmm. this deep debt of gratitude to American Christians because the Lord used a few of them to bring me to him. And therefore, now that I'm stateside, I feel that my passion is to rekindle this passion that American Christians may have somewhat lost along the way. Not all of them. I mean, you're on fire for the Lord. I know so many American Christians that are deep role models for me and that I love deeply. But there's also a lot of people, I think, who are hungry for more. Mm -hmm. And I think many times in the American culture, and in the West in general, definitely in the French culture. So I'm not casting any stones here. Um, the problem is that we start at the place of our doing. And uh, this is the, the little grid you were referring to earlier. I have learned through my own personal experience that all of life, all of our experiences can be summed up in this very simple four square matrix-like little grid. So picture a square cut up in four uh, boxes. And on the top left corner, it would be who God is. And that's the most important part. And that's the part we forget. We forget who he is. We forget to ponder his attributes, his beauty and his sovereignty and his all powerfulness and his love and his grace and his loving kindness and you name it, right? So many wisdom and so wisdom and so many attributes of the Lord, who he is. That's the most important part. And then on the top right corner, there is what he has done, who he is defines what he does, what he has done in the past, all the way to creating time and creating a world, what he has done through the prophets in Jesus Christ, what he's doing in your life today, and all that he is going to do in the future. So there's his being, and then there's his doing that flows from his being. And then the bottom, on the bottom left, picture us, who we are, who we are. So on the left, it's who God is, and then who we are. And then on the bottom right corner, it's what we do. So on the right is what he does and then what we do. And we often start at the bottom right corner of what we do, what we do as defining who we are. Mm -hmm. That's my job. That's my role in life. That's my accomplishments. That's my career. That's a lot of the West will define our identity based on who we are. When I would humbly suggest it's actually the last thing. It's the least important of the four squares in that little matrix. What we do should stem from who we are, not the other way around. And who we are should stem from who God is and what he has done for us. So who he is and then what he does is the most important. And then who we are stems from that. And what we do stems from who we are. And then who are we? We are who God says we are. We don't define ourselves any other way because the only way I would know to define myself is through my actions. 
But that's taking the thing in reverse. And when we define ourselves through our actions or through the lens of others, others' perspective of us through approval or comparison or success in any way we, we define success, we fall short unless we define success. And I think that's the definition of success that I will promote and I will try to inspire others to see as the only truly satisfying measure of success. The definition of success is, am I delighting in the Lord today? That is the ultimate definition of success. Because if I'm delighting in the Lord, then that forms my identity. And my identity is wrapped around who God is because I take my delight in who he is and what he does for me. Therefore, my delight and my identity is not based on myself, but based on him. And that is so much more satisfying because I'm limited. I'm finite. And honestly, I'm quite stupid, but Mm -hmm. he's not. And therefore, if I am able to look to him, to fix my eyes on him, and again, Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, he says, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is revealed in the face of Christ Jesus. And so to delight in God and to make that my definition of success, I think that is, um, that's life-changing. It truly is revolutionary in mm-hmm. the first century Jewish sense of the word. And that is what the New Testament is all about, steeped as it is in the Old Testament. So to delight in the glory of God, that's our biggest quest. That's our identity. Sh- it's our identity shift. And it's actually the series we're on at Gospel Spice right now, learning what it is, what is the glory of God, what is delight, and how we can learn to delight in the glory of God and make that truly our definition of success. Because every night when you put your head on your pillow, if you reflect back on your day and you reflect on the day based on what a successful day would be like, and if your definition of a successful day is, have I delighted in God today? and you're able to say yes to that question, that was a successful day. And that leads to a successful life rooted in who God is and what he has done for you. And that is an excellent way to wrap up our segment. I just think we could go on. We've only scratched the surface of what you do, what God's doing in your in your life. I know I said what you do, but what I mean is what God's doing in your life, the work <laughs> yes. that you're <laughs> now I'm gonna think before I there's say it. Nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with what we do. God calls us to be, uh, not just hearers of the word, but doers, right? So right, we're called right. to be doers, but in the right perspective. As you do, Connie, you you do so much, but you do it all stemming from who you are as a daughter of the most high. That exactly. is why you are experiencing success in your life because you are based on delighting in him first and foremost. Oh, absolutely. Stephanie, would you tell our listeners that that's going to pretty much wrap up our time together? And and listeners, I, I hope you have pages of notes and you have thought through some of how you're viewing your relationship with the Lord. If you are delighting in God, have you tasted and seen? Have you said, well, I did a long time ago, and it really wasn't for me. I'm going to invite you to consider talking to the Lord about that, spending some time in question and, and opening His Word, uh, opening the Bible, and reading what God's Word is, not what someone else says God's Word says, but what is it saying? And It's a personal letter to you. I mean, Scripture is alive. It's not just another book, a self-help book, or a how-to. It's It's the ultimate how-to, actually, but um, I'm going to encourage you to do that. And Stephanie, tell us and tell our listeners where they can find you, because I want them to all go check out uh, your podcast and your ministry for um, 
some awesome sound biblical teaching. So where can they find you? Yeah, sure. Well, there's two easy ways. The first one is right next to Equip to Be on your podcast listening app. Just search Gospel Spice and it should pop up and it's right there. And again, we're in the middle of our God's Glory or Delight series. And uh, the other one is just the website, gospelspice.com, where you will find access to the podcast. You'll find all of our social media links. We are on Facebook and on Instagram, so you can follow us there. We post daily and it's inspirational content all the time. But I would say primarily the podcast. And uh, we also open Bible studies a couple of times a year, limited to a small number of about 100 participants that are online and live. And uh, the next one will be in the fall. And so there'll be more details to come. And it's going to be a pretty exciting study. I'm working on, on it right now. And so more details to come on that if you want to join us for live teachings and what we call spice jars, which are basically small groups uh, to connect with one another. So, so many ways you can join us at Gospel Spice. Well, I'll have all this in the show notes. So make sure you go on over to ConnieAubers.com, click on the show notes. It'll have all the, the links and Stephanie's bio and what she's doing as well. And then you can link to this episode. Um, I know if I can find it, Stephanie, maybe I'll have to get with you and find, because uh, I was on your show and we had a great conversation mm-hmm. as well. But that's the nature of what we do as the body of Christ. We need to be doing what God has called us to do when He's calling us to do it and trust Him with the outcome and the reach. And so, Stephanie, I'm I'm so, del- I'm just, I really am delighted. I, that's a, a, been a word of mine for a while. So that, that was r- wonderful that we were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago. But I'm so honored that you came on the show, that you had a chance to speak to our listeners. If you have any questions, friends, just write email, contact at ConnieAubers.com. Send us a request. We'll make sure that uh, if you have something for Stephanie, you can go over to Gospel Spice and, and l- ask some questions there. But we're here to support and encourage you and help you grow in your faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ from whom all things flow. So you have a wonderful day, friends, and we'll see you next week. Well, that wraps up this episode of Equipped to Be. If you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend or family member and hit subscribe so you don't miss a show. And thank you again for joining me. Remember that we are equipped for every season of life.